Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope that you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit freechapel.org slash OC. Let's jump straight into it and uh, turn with me. If you've got a Bible with you, go to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2 we're looking at. If you don't have a Bible, that's all right. Um, I'm going to explain things and uh, hopefully you can, uh, you can stay, with, stay with me and uh, leave empowered. We're going to um, have a look at this verse. We... we God had been uh, guiding and sort of directing us. I feel like God during this season has, has really guided our church um, in the last sort of nine weeks or so um, on how to sort of navigate um, what church looks like, um, but also how to navigate what, what God is really saying to His people. And uh, it's so important um, for us as the people of God to tune into what God is saying in particular seasons of our life. That, that we don't look to the times to guide our path, we look to the God that we serve. And so God sort of led us to, to begin this little topic, if you like, or subject on, on entitled purpose, where we've been looking at God's purpose for our life. And this, I've, I've, I've felt such an urgency to preach to the people of God right now because in a time and, and a day and age in which we live where there is so much, there is so much disruption all around us. Romans chapter one and verse two, what we, as we started to look at purpose, God led us to, this, to this, these two verses in Romans. And if you're here last week, I just wanna recap for those that weren't. But the two verses in Romans chapter 12, I'm sorry, and verse one and two, and I'm going to read it for us because this is a reminder for us as to God's purpose for our life. And we're going to look at it. But Paul writes this letter to the Romans. He says this, I beseech you, which means I beg you, I beg you, therefore present or by the, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Verse two, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So what we did was we started with verse one and we looked at that and we talked about the fact that the Roman thought behind presenting your body as a living sacrifice, as weird as it sounds and as crazy as it sounds, the the Hebrew thought behind that is basically that we have to surrender our life to Jesus. That if we wanna actually do what God has called us to do and walk in the purpose that He has for us, it has to start from a place of surrender. This is where we this is what we were talking about last week. And then what we did, we began to unwrap the four different stages, or we began to unwrap the process that leads us to understanding our purpose in God. We talked about the importance of embracing the process, how we love to talk about and hear about and we get excited about purpose, don't we? Everybody wants to hear, God, what's God's purpose for my life? Because purpose speaks of vision. Purpose speaks of what I'm gonna do. Purpose speaks of what I'm gonna get, what I'm gonna become. But where we get off track is where we have to remind ourselves that purpose involves a process. 
And often so many of us miss out on the purpose that God has for our life because we refuse to embrace the process that is laid out in His Word. And so we started the process last week. If you were here last week, we didn't get far, did we? Because as we kept walking through these couple of verses, the Lord kept bringing us back to surrender. And as we follow these verses and we look at these verses, and I'm gonna just just do it quickly. The second thing that He said is, He says, I want you to surrender your life first and foremost. That's the starting point. Once you surrender your life, then once you surrendered your life, the verse goes on and he says, don't conform, which means don't, don't, don't be shaped by the times, by what's going on around you. So it's changing my way. So we identified, okay, this is, this is our little stations, if you like. We understood that it starts with surrender, but then I've got to make a decision that I'm not gonna conform. I'm not gonna be fashioned or shaped by what's going on around me, I'm going to change my ways. But, but I'm, not going to, I'm not going to change my ways if my life isn't surrendered. Because often people come to church and when they get, get, get preached at saying you've got to change their ways, they're like, well, I don't want to do what you're telling me to do. And the reason why they struggle with that is because their life's not surrendered. And so as we keep, keep walking through the process, Paul takes us through the process. And then the third thing that we looked at was, once I've changed my ways, I have to renew my mind. So renewing my mind, again, you see how each one of these different steps or phases, if you like, are impossible if you don't keep going back to surrender. This is one of the great, most powerful ways to continue to grow your walk with God is you have to learn how to always circle back to surrender. It's not this, this thing's not a one-time deal. Paul said, I take up my cross daily, which means every day, every day, I've got to say, God, I surrender that to you again. I surrender my dreams. I surrender my desires. I surrender my hurts. I surrender my frustrations. I surrender my unforgiveness. And we've got to keep going through the process. And so what Paul does is he lays it out for us. And he says, don't conform to this world. Surrender your life. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. But be, I want you to see the, 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 the language that he's telling us. He says, do not, this, this don't conform is a turning away. It's a turning away from something. This is an, there's an onus upon us to be obedient to the Word that God has told us to do in order to activate the purpose that He wants us to walk in. But we're not going to head the direction that we are not facing. And too many of us, part of us, we want the purpose of God, but we still want to face the things of this world. Second Timothy 2 and verse 22, he says this, he says, flee from what's evil and cling to what's good. It means, it means to head the opposite direction. 
Now we hear stuff like that and we think, well, that's God telling me not to sleep around and do drugs and go to Vegas and never come home. There's not, there's more to it than that. What, what, what about, what about seeing that, that we need to turn away from the things of this world? What about turning away from fear and anxiety surrounding the future of a nation? What about that for a novel idea for the church? That we would make a decision that we're not going to be riddled with anxiety over what's going on around us, but we're going to turn away from that and turn to God and remind ourselves that God's hand is upon us no matter what happens and I don't have to be in fear or be anxious for a single thing. That if I can, if I can turn... See, there's, there's too many things right now that are fighting for our attention. And then we wonder why we're riddled with fear when we just, all we do is scroll and all we do is just look and all we do is just flick channels and all we do is just feed fear and feed anxiety and feed depression and feed worry into our minds. And we wonder why we're not walking in our purpose. So we've got to keep turn and then we got to, and, and then we turn and then we've got to go back and surrender and then we've got to turn and then we go back to surrender and then we come to renew my mind renew my mind it's Paul saying you need to change the standard of your thinking the standard of your thinking will set the state of your mind in Philippians he says this Philippians 4 Verse 8, he says, whatever is good, whatever is pure. I know it's basic, but this is Scripture. Whatever, he says this, whatever's praiseworthy. He says, meditate or focus on this stuff. It's, it's so simple. We want people who say, well, I, am, I need a deep word today. Listen. You can't get a deep one if you're not doing the shallow one. Oh yeah, it's the, it's the people. Can, someone come up to me once, and they were, they were being, you know, they were being kind, they were being sweet, and they're like, "Man, I started coming to this church because the the, the, the church I used to go to, the, the word wasn't deep enough. The word, and you know, they were being sweet and being nice, but but I thought to myself, I didn't realize God's word was shallow. We have to understand that the, that the power in God's Word, if we, would, if we would just do it, if you would just simply take Philippians 4 verse 8 and use that as a checklist for what you're going to allow into your mind and into your thinking, your life would be transformed, which is the next stage. If I renew my mind, if I renew my mind, if I, the word renew in the Greek, it means to renovate. It means to renovate. What's a renovation? A renovation is when you pull down what is old and you put up something new. So how do I renovate my thinking? How do I renew my thinking? How do I pull down wrong thinking? This is where you have to apply God's Word to your life. I remember when I was, when I was younger and I worked, you've heard me share stories from it before I draw from it a lot, but I used to work in construction. I remember the first time I, I, was, I walked onto a building site. I was 18 and uh, just finished school and 
and uh, a little rough around the edges. I know that's incredibly difficult for you to understand because I'm so polished. Thank you. I appreciate it. And, uh, and, and I remember going on, on building site and uh, I was working for this, for this old, this, this mean, old, mean old dude. And uh, he, had this, uh, he had this white beard. They all called him Papa Smurf on, on site. He had, his, he had this white beard. And I, and I remember I walked onto the building site and, you know, I had, had a, you know, what tools I had, a couple of tools and I'm ready to go. I'm 18. And, and he looks at me and he says, get your, get your tool belt out, put your tool belt on. So I put my tool belt on. I got my hammer there. And he looks at me and he comes over and he grabs my hammer. And he, it's, you know, it's just a little, just a hammer. I, I don't know, hammers. I'm 18. I just bought it at the store. You know, it's just got a wooden handle and, you know, a hammer head on it. He looks at it and he says, what's this? I said, it's my hammer. He said, what are you going to do with that? I said, I'm going to build a house. He said, not for me, you're not. He said, get in the car. Oh, this is my first, this, I just met this dude. Oh, he's already angry. I'm like, well, I don't understand what we're doing. So we get, I, get, I remember I get in his, his car, it stunk of cigarettes, it was dirt and trash everywhere. This old boy drives me down to this, to this hardware store down the, down the street. In, in, and I'm working in the middle of nowhere in Outback Australia. And, uh, and I walk in, we walk into this hardware store and, and the guy behind the counter, he knew Papa Smurf. And he was just as rough as Papa Smurf was. <laughs> and he, says, he said, will you get this kid a hammer, a proper hammer? And he looks at me and he said, looks me up and down and he goes, goes out the back and he comes out with this, with this East Wing, many of you wouldn't know, East Wing, 30 pound, Framing hammer. I'm I'm 18. I'm skinny as a rake, and he he gets this he gets this hammer, and he says, "Here, this is a proper hammer. I'm telling you, God is my witness." He put this hammer in my hand at near just about hit the floor. I said, and I, I said, "Pop," I said, "It's too heavy." I said, "Hammer," I said, "It's too heavy," and he looks at me. He said, "That's the point." He said, if you want to get work done, you've got to put some weight behind your work. He said, you use that. He used some other words that I won't say. <laughs> he said, if you use that hammer that you brought onto the building site, you're going to be smacking at nails all day and they're not going to go nowhere because there's no weight behind it. Let me tell you something about the Word of God that's going to radically shock you. The Word of God in and of itself will not set you free. And that's why too many people, their mind is not being renewed because they're not applying the Word of God to their life the way it's supposed to be applied and there's no weight behind it. It's not enough to just quote the Word of God. It's not. The, the, the devil quoted the Word of God to Jesus when he was in the desert. The demons, the, the, the devil, the, the bad guys know God's Word. Listen, let me tell you something. It's not even enough to study God's Word because the Pharisees studied God's Word too. Did it set them free? What does it say? What is the Word that sets you free? It's not the Word that you quote. It's not the Word that you study. 
It's not the Word that you just read and all of these things are good, but it's the Word of God. It says, you shall know the truth and then the truth will set you free. So it's not the Word that you can quote that will set you free in your mind. It's the Word that you know that will set you free in your mind. So let's talk about this word know real quick. The word know in the Greek is the word ginosko, which actually speaks of intimacy. It's the same word that Mary said to the angel when the angel came to Mary and said, you're gonna birth a saviour. And she looked at the angel and she said, I have not known a man. It's the same word in the Greek. The same word in the Greek is the same word that when it says that when we come before God, He's gonna say, depart from me. He'll either say, well done, good and faithful servant. Or He'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. So if we wanna walk free in our minds and in our thinking, we've got to get some words, some of the Word, some words, some verses that we really know. The people that you have in your life that you are, closest with, you've gone through the most stuff with, haven't you? Your best friends are the ones you probably had the biggest arguments with. It's similar like that I found for my life. It's similar, the Scriptures, the Word of God is like that. How many, how many words do you know that you've grabbed a hold of, that you've had to walk to hell and back with, that you've gone through difficult times, through challenging times, and you've just had to hold on to that verse and speak it over your life when all else around you seemed like it was failing. That's when you get to know God's Word and that's when God's Word will actually set your mind free and set you up for a transformed life and then in turn the purpose God has for you. But you have to, we have to know what it is to know God's Word. You know what it's like? It's, it's like you, you got, I'm about to fly away up here. You got to get a, you got to get a word, get a verse. And it's like you sit in it. You sit in it and you stay with it. The Word talks about He binds, bind it around your neck, bind tight to you as you sit in it and you stick with it and you stay with it and you meditate on it and you pray on it and, and you, as you're driving along, you think about it and you think about that Word. I was, I was thinking of words that have actually helped me in my life, that have got me through difficult times, words that I know. Isaiah 55 and verse 8, He says this, He says, My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Do you know how much freedom that brings to my mind? Just thinking about it lights me up a little bit. You know why? Because I know it. I know it because I've sat in times when I was so frustrated with the way God was doing stuff. And I had to sit in it. And I had to remind my spirit and remind myself, you know what? God, you, you, your ways are different to my ways. You do stuff differently. That's where we lose faith, don't we? That's where I've lost faith so many times in my life. It's because I lose faith in the way God does stuff. 
Don't you hate the way He does stuff sometimes? I know that sounds wrong to say at church on Sunday. I'm the pastor, I'm meant to get up and say, don't you love the way God does things? No, you don't. Sometimes you hate it. You straight up hate it. Why doesn't He do things quicker? Hey, just, just how many times have you prayed to be like, God, just do it. <laughs> Fix it. When he, when, when, when I would get, if I, at least some, sometimes I think if I was God, I would do it so much better. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I know what needs to happen. You just got to get this person and to put them here. And that one's an idiot. Get rid of them. We don't need them. And then get this one over here and put me here. And give me lots of stuff there. And put my kid. We look at it like it's a chessboard. And then we lose faith. I lose faith. I, my faith gets lost in God's ways sometimes. That's when we have to remind ourselves that I don't put my faith in, in the works that He does. I put my faith in knowing who He is. So when the ways don't make sense, I can trust in His nature and I can say, God, I don't know what the heck you're doing right now, but I trust you. I trust that'll set you free. See, it's one word, it'll set you free. It's one word that you know, that you've sat in, that you've walked through, that's spoken things to your heart, that's lit up your path in dark nights. It's one word. And if you can get one word in your spirit, one word in your heart, it will get the job done because it'll have weight behind it. You'll be amazed. I was amazed when I got onto that building site and Papa Smurf, what Papa Smurf could do with a 30 pound framing hammer. That guy could do multiple things with just one tool. Just get a word and know it. You'll be amazed at what you can do. But we don't want to do that. It's a part of the process, but we don't want to do it. But if we understand and we can apply that to our life, we start to set our mind free. And then the last thing that he goes on to say, and this is where I want to get to. Right on time. Um, is the process of surrendering our life, changing our ways, renewing our mind, this is what leads to a transformed life. Transformed life. And as long as we understand that this process is not a one-time deal, it's an everyday deal. For some of us, it's a few times a day. You've got to keep circling back. You've got to keep circling back to surrender. To surrender. But then what's so exciting about this process and this is where this process leads us to talking about and understanding our purpose. 
want to show you something. Because the, the, the process, why do I have to walk out the process? Again, it's God's ways, isn't it? Why, why can't you just show me my purpose? Because we're so focused on the purpose that we want. But God is focused upon the person that we become as we walk through the process. See, we don't, we don't, we don't want, again, it goes back to, I don't want process. I don't want process, I want purpose. God says, in order for you to get purpose, you have to walk through the process because I wanna change the person that you are that prepares you for the purpose that you have. And this is why it's so important. Let me show you why, why is it so important? Let's look at the verse again. This is what he says. And don't conform to this world, verse two, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is the process. And Paul tells us in this next verse, why? Why are you locking me down to this process, God? Why are you telling me to surrender my life and then change my ways and renew my, my mind and transform my life? Why are we doing all this? This is why. He says this. So that you may be able to discern what the will of God is for your life. Let me just show you this. And if you can catch this, it's gonna help you. Ephesians 2.6, there's a verse that says this. He says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You heard that before? Have you ever wondered what the heck that means? We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Of course, what that verse is talking about is he's talking about our spirit, okay? Obviously, we're not seated with Christ in heavenly places because we're living here on earth. So when I get saved, my spirit is seated with Him. So what we then have to do is, we have to then begin the process of aligning my, my flesh, man, my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions to align with where my spirit man is. I have to, the part of the process is closing the gap between who I am in the Spirit and who I am down here on earth. Stay with me because if you can get this, this will change your life. That's where your battle is. You're saved if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Your spirit is seated with Him in heavenly places. That's not where you're screwing up. It's your mind, it's your will and it's your emotions. So as we embrace the process, we correctly align ourselves with our spirit man. This is so important. Why is this important when it comes to your purpose because he tells us 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9 he says no eye has seen no ear has heard nor has entered into the heart the things that God has prepared for us 
Then verse 10 says this, but they are revealed to us by the Spirit. So when it comes to your purpose, you have to understand that it's gonna be something that you catch in your spirit that God will show you in your spirit. But if you're not correctly aligned, you will miss what God has for you. So what gets me about this verse though? What gets me is he says this, Romans 12 and verse two, why do we do all this? Why am I doing this whole process? Then he says that you may be able to prove the verse, the word is, or the interpretation is that you may be able to, listen to this, discern or decide or determine is the other word. Hang on a sec, Paul. Now lean in, listen. I'm asking God. I thought this whole series was about asking God, what's my purpose? But according to Romans 12 and chapter 2, Paul says that you may determine what your purpose is. Who determines your purpose for your life? You thought it was God. It's you. It's not, listen, it's the surrendered you. It's the you that has your ways changed. It's the you that has your mind renewed. It's the you that has transformed your life. Then you get to decide what you do for God. But you will not understand your purpose if your mind is not renewed. Because your purpose is above what you could possibly ask, think or imagine. God says, let me show you real quickly. A verse that people like to quote when they want stuff from God. Psalm 37 verse 4. God will give you the desires of your heart. We heard that before. We pray that to God when we're frustrated and we want stuff. But don't miss what the verse says at the start. If you delight yourself in the Lord, delight means mould, shape. That's the verse. If you, if you delight yourself in the Lord, if you embrace the process of change, listen to me, where you delight yourself will determine the desires that are in your heart. So God says, bro, I don't know if He calls you bro, He calls me bro. God says, hey, He said, and I'm saying to God, God, what's my purpose? God, what's my purpose? What do you want me to do? You know what God says? Once we've gone through this process, God looks at us and says, what do you want? What do you want to do? God says, if you've got the faith for it 
and you've had your life transformed. I'll put my favour on it. That's why God said to Joshua, God didn't say to Joshua, hey bro, listen, um, listen, um, I've got some great things for you and uh, you, you're going to have a great purpose, but I need you to just tread real carefully because my purpose is really, really specific for your life, Jay. So I need you to listen, okay? And, and, and I need you to just tread real carefully and, and I'm going to show you, but I don't want you to mess it up. So you gotta, you got to stay with, is that what He said to Joshua? No, He said, everywhere you set your foot, I'll give it to you. You've got, listen, listen. You have to understand God's purpose for your life as you continue to live a life that embraces the process is whatever it is that you have the faith for. As a transformed person, God will bless it if you're willing to step out into it. Listen, last thing, I'm going to close real quick. Peter, Matthew 14 and 22. God says to the disciples, He says to the disciples, put up on the screen, get in the boat, we're going to the other side. Remember that? Trust me, it's there. Get in the boat, we're going to the other side. They get in the boat, they go out onto the water, we know the story, right? We know what happens. Peter walks on water. What was God's purpose for the disciples? His purpose is in verse 22. Get in the boat, go to the other side. So was Peter walking on the water part of God's purpose? The point I'm making is this. I think God... leaves the purpose. I think God entrusts the purpose for our life up to us based upon the level of faith that we have. God's purpose, according to that story, was not necessarily for Peter to walk out on the water. That wasn't God's idea. Jesus didn't even say, Peter, this is what I want you to do. It was Peter's idea. Because Peter was that bat crazy enough to think, you know what? I've got the faith to do something crazy right now. And all the time we're waiting on God to do something great in our life. Maybe God is waiting on us to embrace the process and then to see what we come up with on the other end of it. When I, when I, and I'm going to close. You're all right though, are you good? When, um, when, uh, when I first got saved and uh, I got saved and, and I was crazy, I gave my life to Jesus and I wanted to just get, you know, just get my life for, you know, start living better, you know. And I remember they, they gave me, a, I was an usher. Shout out to all the ushers. I remember I was an usher. I was the worst usher on the planet. And uh, I remember doing ushering. And then they, uh, then I got, I got upgraded to like, I was one of the guys on, on side of stage, secu- you know, security. I don't know why they trusted me with that, but they did. And I was doing that and then little bit by little bit. Then, then I got put, given a position on the, on the youth team 
helping out, working in um, with the at-risk teenagers. And so we started going in, into high schools and, uh, and, and the way the high schools operate in, in Australia is very similar to here. You, churches are not allowed to have involvement with, with public schools. And, and I remember I just had something stirring in my heart. I was, you know, not long saved and God had set me free. And, and, and I, just, I just wanted to do something for God. And so I started like, I would cold call like principals of schools. Now, I used, I was not like a good kid in school. I know again, that's incredibly difficult for you to understand because I'm so lovely. Um, but, I, you know, I used to get kicked out of schools when, you know, when I was in school. So I wasn't like your model student. But I remember I started, I, I, I just wanted to do something for God. And I knew that God had changed my life. And I just wanted God, everybody else to know what God could do for their life. Right, so I start ringing. I start ringing principals, and I'm like, "Hey," and you know, you know, like you ring someone, and then they answer the phone, and then you have to come up. You hadn't really prepared what you were going to say to them until they answered the phone, and then you realise you probably should have come up with something better. So they ring, and I'm like, "Hey, uh, my name's Ben, <laughs> and uh, listen, can I uh, can I come and talk with you about um, how uh, the um, the church?" Could help help some of your students. They're like, click, no. Yeah, church, Christian church, you can't do that. So I'm like, try again. Pick up the phone. This is honest to God what I did. This is where ministry started for me. Hey, listen, but as I as I more hung up on me, I think I got better at it. And I started sounding, you know, not like not not so much of an idiot on the phone. And I'm like, hey sir, I'm, you know, my name's Ben and, and I work for a local church. And I'd love to come and just chat with you about how uh, we as a church could, uh, could perhaps help with any needs that you might have in your school. And finally, finally, I had, I, had, I had one and you could see that he was annoyed. He was like, I mean, sure, yeah, I'll, I'll talk with you. So I remember praying and I'm praying. I'm so pumped, man. I'm like, I'm going, I'm going, you know, advance the kingdom, go make disciples, I'm going. I'm gonna, you know, again, I didn't know what I was doing. And, and I remember I show up, you know, dress up a bit. I show up. I've got no idea. I go in this guy's office and, and, and I stand there and he's like, so what, uh, what can you offer? <laughs> and then I realised I didn't have nothing to say. <laughs> I was like, well, man. What can we offer? Man, I'm so glad that you said that. Wow, where do you want me to start, you know? And uh, I said, um, so I, I threw back on him, you know, fake it till you make it, bro. So I said, well, I said, let's, um, what needs do you have? What needs do you have? And uh, he said, in, in regard to what? I said, well, like, um, in terms of your welfare and, and Welfare areas within the school or troubled kids. What are, what are the what's your biggest need? And they said this. They said, "Well, look. To be honest, our biggest need right now would be bullying within the school." I said, "Really?" He said, "Yeah." He said, uh, "This school is actually on on target to become. We're about to become the first school ever in the nation of Australia to install metal detectors." Um, because of the problems that we've been having going down in the school regarding bullying. So I said to him, 
in the meeting. I'm like, and he said, do you do anything with that? I said, oh, do we? Whoa, man, wow. I said, yep. I said, we have, I said, we will run. This is as God is my witness. I looked at this person. I said, we are gonna run for you. We have a bullying program that we're gonna run. He looked at me and he, he sort of got, his eyes lit, lit up a bit and he said, really? I said, yep, we, we do. He said, what do you, how does it run? I said, well, I said this to him, God is my witness. You cannot make this stuff up. I looked at him and I said, give me 50 of your worst kids for two hours. Take them out of class. I want one classroom. I want all the chairs and tables taken out of the classroom. And I want you to put 50 of the worst kids in that room and give them to me for two hours. And I just thought to myself, dear Lord Jesus, what have I done? <laughs> what? Ben, what's the plan, bro? I, I Listen, he, what made it worse was he got real excited. He said, really? <laughs> 50 of our worst, you're that good? I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're the best. <laughs> What's we? I didn't have a program. I didn't have, listen, what made it worse was he kept asking for more details and I kept giving him details. He said, do you have a team? I said, I'm gonna come with with six um, team members. I didn't have six people. I'm not joking. This is what how it went down. I walked out, I'll never forget. What made it was we booked a date in the, in the meeting. He got out his calendar. He said, are you guys pretty booked up? Oh, we're slammed. We're, I mean, this thing, oh man, it's, we're just, I have to check with the, my assistant. Like, you know, I'm like part-time, you know, like, um, what are you thinking? And he gave me a date. I said, let me check. Yep, it works. As God is my witness, I walk out of this meeting and I have booked a bullying program that does not exist. That's going to be run by a team that does not exist. Headed up by myself who has no experience in it at all. And I booked a date. I walked out of it and I was like, what? I said, God, God, what are we going to do? What what are we going to do? You know what? Sometimes I think, I think when we step out with a heart that is committed to God's plan and purpose, I think you can do something that will activate the focus of heaven in such a way that God will bless whatever you do. I, I felt like God is looking down on me, gather the angels and He's like, would, would you look at this dude? What is he doing? I remember saying to God, God, I don't know what I'm doing. 
I felt I said to God, God, I'm too deep. And, and I know it's a funny story, but man, you don't know how deep I was. <laughs> but there's something about being out there on the water that'll set your focus on God like the land won't. Because if I'm on the land, I'm steady. But it's when I'm on the water, I grab a hold of Him and I say, God, I need You. God, would You, would you come in? God, would You give me a key? God, would You order my step? God, when did Peter sink? When his focus got off his God. And I remember God spoke to me and He said to me, Ben, He said, there's power in my Word. And I said, God, what does that mean? I can't preach. I can't talk about God. It's in a public school. He said, that doesn't matter. He said, I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna show you things in my Word and you're gonna reword it. There's still power in it. You're just going in undercover. And I'm gonna give you a team. He said, you need a team of communicators. You're working with teenagers, young people. You've got to get them and you've got to get them quick. So I started, I start, I started to gather. I started gathering, gathering people. I started, I started gathering teams when I told them what we were about to do. Half of them got scared off. So I was able to sort of get down to the ones that were really locked in. And, and I started talking to teachers and, and I talked to psychologists and I started to get thoughts that they had on bullying and, and self-esteem and why kids treat each other that way. And I talked to a couple of basketball guys that went to the church and, and a couple of football guys. I said, hey, will you come? And, and will you just come to this room? I, go, I can't pay you nothing, bro, but, but let's show up and, and let's, let's change the world. You know what I mean? like give me a bit of vision. So this football guy said, y'all come. And I said, I just do 10 minutes, man. Will you give me 10 minutes? And, and we started to put together this. I'm out there on the water. I'm just starting to put together something. I just, you know, I didn't know what we were doing. And then, and then just before we go in, I'll meet with this, this team of just six people, couple guys, couple girls that were crazy enough to get out of the boat with me. I'll never forget, we, we met in a food court before we went to the school. It was next door to the school. We met in a food court and we stood there and I said, guys, we need to pray because uh, we're about to walk in a room with 50 of probably the worst teenagers in the nation. And uh, God's got to do something. As I'm talking to the team, the Holy Spirit speaks to me. And the Holy Spirit says to me, Ben, I want you to do a response time at the end of the session. I said, what do you mean a response? He said, I want you to give the kids an opportunity to actually stand the same way you would do an altar call, but they're standing to make a decision to say that we're gonna change how we're treating one another in this school. And I looked at God and I said, God, that's not gonna work. Do you ever talk to God like He needs your help? I said, God, that is, come on, man. I said, God, what, what more do you want from me? I said, there's 50 teenagers in classroom. These kids are tougher. I mean, they're not gonna stand. I'm lucky if I walk out alive. God said, do it. If you've got the faith for it, I'll put my favour on it. We get, we get in that room and God is just there. And, and, and we roll this thing. 
And, and I, I, don't know how to tell, I don't know how to explain it to you any better than just the presence of God was there because we prayed and we prepared the ground. We stepped out in faith. At the end of it, I said to, the, I said to these 50 kids, I said, I'm going to ask you something right now. I said, I'm going to count to three. And when I hit three, I want every single one of you that's in this room that's willing to actually do some soul searching and ask yourself, are you treating people right? Are you treating your friends right? Or are there people in your life that you're not treating right? And you're making a decision in this room right now in front of your friends to say, you're going to change how you're treating one another. I said, if that's you, I want you to stand when I count to three. And I said, one, two, three. And every, it was a, it probably took about three and a half minutes for every single teenager, listen to me, in that room to stand to their feet. As they stood to their feet, as God is my witness, I am not lying. Kids began to weep. As they made a decision, listen to me, to change their life the way they're treating one another. The teacher that was over welfare, that was present during the workshop, the kids are standing. She starts to cry, she walks out. She goes and gets the principal, brings the principal back and she says, you have got to come and see what is happening. From that moment, the principal came up to me at the end and he said to me this, in my teaching career, I have never seen anything like that. And he said, this is what you're going to do. He told me, he said, you're coming back. We have however many hundreds, you know, hundreds of, of students in this school. He said, we are booking you and your team for five days straight. You're going to do three sessions a day, 50 kids at a time. And you're going to do that same program with this whole entire school. We did that. We had every single kid in every single session stand at the end to say they want to change how they're treating one another. Listen to me. From that, from that, and I, I, I checked this to look because I wanted to see what was going on, on online. We, we grew the team. We added team members. People wanted to start to get involved. We called it the No Ball Program. It's now known as the No Ball Movement that 15 years later is recognised as the number one organisation in Australia, listen, that deals with bullying across public schools in the nation. The church, listen to me, we set up, we set up the No More Boot Movement as a separate entity that is now paid, it is a paid program where public schools pay big money for this team that is now fully staffed to go into these schools and it is still running 15 years later to this day called the No Bull Movement. What is your purpose? You know what it is? Once you've gone through the process, it's actually whatever you're willing to believe for. And if you step out, if you've got the faith for it, God will put His favour on it. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To watch our latest message, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay connected 
Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Free Chapel OC.